You're listening to the greatest multifamily investment advice show. My name is Adam Ross, and now I'm talking everything multifamily for an in-depth conversation, and I will be diving deep into raising capital, deals, and underwriting process. Welcome back to the greatest multifamily advice show. Today, we have Reed Gosling, a multifamily syndicator with more than 12 years in commercial real estate from Texas market, book author and public speaker. Please help me to welcome our guest today. How are you? How are you? How are you? Read? Good, thanks, mate. How are you? So far, so good. Uh, so from engineering to syndication world. So your, bre- your background is super impressive, to be honest, on the last six to seven years with acquiring more than 3,500 unit in Texas market. So before we jump to this, what was the beginning for you and why this shift from engineering to commercial world or commercial real estate world? Yeah, so it, it, the story goes further back than that. Um, I'm originally from Australia. So I was uh, graduated in 2007 and I um, went to London in 2008 to work on the 2012 Olympic Games. Hmm. Uh, then I was in the south. Of, then I, I was only, my visa was only there for a year. And then I went to the south of France. And in the south of France, I worked on the super yachts. If you've ever seen the, the show Below Deck hmm. on Bravo, hmm. I worked for, for a Russian billionaire as a deckhand. And I, the reason I say this story is because during that time, I um, I met my then girlfriend, now wife, who's American. So we met in the south of France. We, we fell in love. I, I, I take this boat across the Atlantic Ocean. I'm in the Caribbean. I've had a great year gallivanting around Europe and the you know the south of France. But then I was like, look, I'm done. I'm, I'm over this boat. And I then I backpacked through the states, the US. And this is what, the first times I've really spent time in the, in, in America. Plus, I'd fall in love with this American girl, and I fall in love with New York City. Yeah, this is in two thousand and nine. Yeah, fall in love with this girl. I moved back to Australia. I'm back in Australia in two thousand and ten. I'm in my cubicle in, a, in an engineering job, and I'm going. I've just had incredible two years, you know, being on this boat, meeting these girls, and you know, gallivanting around the world. And I was like, I want someone to pay me to live my life. And so that was the start of how do I do more with my money? And and it was I knew that I had more to give but I just didn't know what that was. And so I stumbled upon the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and that was the eye-opening part for me at 24 years of age. I This is in 2010. I was like, I want someone to pay me to live my life, but I didn't know what to do with it. And so given that I was a civil engineer, structural engineer, mm. I was like, look, I want to, I think, I think real estate's for me. And so in 2010, I'm doing long distance relationship with this American girl, she eventually moves to Australia in 2011 to do it to do a master's. I'm all this time whilst learning about real estate in Australia, you know, and just you know going to local meetup events and just trying to consume with much real estate. I didn't do anything in Australia, but at the end of 2011, she finishes her master's degree in Australia, and and I was like, let's move to New York City because I really love New York City. I'd backpack through there, and that's when the move to 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 America happened. So I'd already been bitten by the bug. You ask how I got involved. It was already being bitten by the bug prior to moving to the US. But once I landed in the US, I was in New York City, wanted to live in the Big Apple. I didn't have a job. I was, you know, I was walking the streets, pounding, you know, knocking on engineering doors until someone said yes. And I found a job. And then within two weeks, being fresh off the boat, I was at my first New York RIA, so a real estate investment association. And that was where I was just blown away with the sheer level of networking that was you know, present in the US. And, and just how much 
access to information. This is 2012. There was no podcast then. There was no, you know, yeah, YouTube was, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't that big, but these meetup events were huge. And coming from Australia where we didn't have, you know, the, the, the networking that, you know, you walk into a room and I remember um, the uh, Penn, uh, uh, Penn station, there's a hotel above it called the Pennsylvania. And there was in there and uh, you know, 200 people in the bloody room, you know, all networking about real estate. And so mm. this, it, it came to a, you know, it was just small. So like pulling at the, the little bit of string and the string just kept getting bigger and bigger. And so within the first six months of moving to the US, I, um, I, I was just consumed with trying to learn about real estate investing, similar to what I was doing in Australia, but I was now doing it in the US. So I had to learn about LLCs and EIN numbers and, you know, mortgages. But what I did learn, Adam, was that there is secondary markets, tertiary markets. You can buy properties for 30, 40,000 bucks. Yeah. I'm coming from a country like you live in Canada. There's no such thing as thirty, forty thousand dollars property. <laughs> so, Maybe twenty times more. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I I spent my I'd saved up a bit of money. I spent my first forty thousand bucks buying a triplex in upstate New York because that's what all I could afford. And the only reason I st- chose Syracuse was because I could get on a Greyhound bus and I could be there within, you know, within um, four uh, four hours. So, in general, I am. You, know, you asked me how I got involved. It's a long story, but it's it was just the coming to America story. It was the learning. And then once I've got here, I've obviously over the last 10 years, I've built it to what we've built today. And there's obviously a lot more stories in there we can unwind. But the starting of it was a curiosity around doing more with my money and and and, and becoming financially free. Yeah, the rest race and nine to five and all of this, like you cannot keep doing this. So what was the potential to jump to Texas State uh, as as a market? I see your portfolio is mixed between San Antonio and Austin, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you actually started to do syndication and, and in which size, and, and I see the progress on the last 10 years from, as you mentioned, the triplex on New York to more than almost 4,000 units now in, in Texas, mainly in Texas. I see a couple of properties, I think, on Phoenix and- Phoenix, uh, uh, and, Georgia, and yes. now in um, Greenville, South Carolina. Yeah. So how you started the syndication? What was the motivation for the syndication? Yeah. So the motivation was actually another friend from Canada. So 2013, I've been in the States for a bit over a year. I'm in New York City. I've done. I bought a triplex in New in, in Syracuse. I bought a second duplex in Syracuse, mm. and I was just about to start buying a, a fix and flip in Philadelphia. Yeah. I'm still working full time, not earning a lot of money as a structural engineer. And my buddy who went to uh, UBC, University of British Columbia, he studied. He and I studied civil engineering together in Australia um, back in the day. He mm. comes down to, to New York, and I'm we're out for some drinks, and I'm boasting to him, "Hey, I've got you know." seven units in upstate New York and whatever it was. And he goes on to tell me, he's like, yeah, that's, that's fantastic. And and he he tells me he just closed on 70 units. And I said, 70, like seven zero. And he's like, yeah, 70 units. And I was like, and my, excuse my French, but I was like, how the fuck did you do that? <laughs> and he, he goes on to tell me about all the things I'd heard about in the rears, other mm. people's money, mentorships, you know, get seller carry back finance, mm. you know, raising capital. And it all been, up until that point, Adam, I've been doing it all by myself. Like I've been, it's my money. I had to figure out the financing. It was what, I, and I could only buy what I could afford, right? You know, that was because it was just my money. Um, here's a guy that was talking about raising money from other people and buying 70 units. And he's doing exactly what I'm doing on these triplexes and duplexes, but at scale. 
And mm. it, I, I'd already had seen the concept of it, reading it in books and stuff like that, under, like thinking of syndication. But it, I got to the point where I was like, you know, this had been since 2009 when I picked up the book Rich Dad Poor Dad to 2013. There's a, a, a significant chunk of time where I was learning by myself. Mm. And I knew that I was like, I think I need that mentor. Like if, if Scott's doing this, you know, he's just, le- he just leveled the bar at, at a certain height for me to jump. If he can do it, why can't I do it? And yeah. so the first thing was, let's go out and get a mentor. And let's go out and get someone who's in the world of syndication. Because I knew I wanted to do bigger stuff. I just didn't know how to put it together. And so through that, I found a gentleman. He'd only done one deal, but he encouraged me to start a podcast. And that podcast is called Investing in the US, The Ultimate Guide to US Real Estate. And he talked about raising money. And, 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 and you know, I, I, spent the, I spent the least amount of money I could on this mentor. He's not my mentor today, but it got me started. And so you ask how I got involved in the Texas markets. I got involved in the Texas markets because that was where my mentor, oh, sorry, that was where my mentor was doing some deals. And so I, I was, I was going to raise money. I did raise money as a co-GP on his deals in Texas. Mm. And it, it was just more, the cap rates in those markets were a lot lower. And at the time in 2014, I moved to Los Angeles where my wife is from. And so I was looking at stuff in Los Angeles. Obviously, it just doesn't make sense. It's like Vancouver. It's like you know New York. It's, it's just really expensive. It's very similar to Australia. It's level so of appreciation, not a cash flow. Correct. And so here are these markets where you could get five, six, seven percent cap rates, right? Back yeah. in the day. Yeah. And that's that was that made sense to me. So on the first deal I did, uh, I did a co-syndication with with my mentor. He um, he did a deal with a with his partner in Houston. I did a couple more with him, and then in 2015, at the end of so in 2015, I made the decision I'm going to be my own sponsor, and mm. that's when I started saying, "Hey, I need to start getting a t- you know, some some underwriters. I need to start you know fig- figuring out the back end system because I was still working full time, mm. um, and at the time I actually made a transition out of engineering and I went and worked for a developer here in Los Angeles in 2000 as I moved to LA. I said, screw engineering. I'm going to go work for a developer and be surrounded by real estate 24-7. If I couldn't escape the corporate job, why not go learn as much as I can whilst doing my deals on the side, whilst at least analyzing deals? And then I did my first actual lead syndication in 2016 because it took a good year. And in San Antonio was the market. And I found a business partner in San Antonio who was boots on the ground. And we we went on to, you know, I think we did 15 deals together there in that partnership. I've now, we've moved away from that partnership, but now I've got another, you know, I've created something else in other markets, but that was the start of it all. So there's a lot of stories in there, but um, it was all around about throwing spaghetti against the wall, seeing what sticks, getting mentors, you know, listening to other people, but taking action. And, and and you know and and really calculated action and not just going to these you know these events and you know signing up for bus rides and all that sort of stuff that's great but actually going out and doing it and 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 you know starting the podcast and raising money and getting a mentor and then underwriting deals and making offers on deals and all that sort of stuff so yeah i think the lesson here is really important as you mentioned is to be doer not just listening and on the passive side and another subject here is especially for syndication when you start you need a mentor, not only for the technical stuff, but also for his experience. So he can he can leverage his experience on his deals. Uh, the first step is uh, writing letter of intent. You need experience on your market. So really, this is a really important like lesson for anyone or newbies on syndication is this is a team sport. You cannot start by yourself. You cannot do everything by yourself. And 
your your story basically confirming this that this is a team of sport partnership raising yeah. capital mentorship programs of course the technical part so yeah uh, i think this is a the perfect start for you yep no, i think is. the next subject is going to be you're mainly working as i mentioned on austin and uh, austin and san antonio for the last i think 10 years or more no, not 10 years. Uh, the first, it was 2015, 16. So 16 was the first deal in mm. San Antonio. And then it was in 2017, 18, we started going into Austin. And then just last year, I started going to Phoenix and uh, Greenville, South Carolina. So it's, it's you know, it's expanding across the country now. So the, the two market is two different market, I think, two different animals here between Austin and San Antonio, because I think the San Antonio's market cap rate is different, higher, than uh, Austin, it's yep. more like an appreciation game in Austin. Yep. Two different Correct. markets, fundamentally, I guess. What was the motivation, especially that you see a better cash flow in San Antonio to move to Austin? Um, the the thing is, Austin had um the business part. My former business partner was from Austin, right? So we had oh. a lot of we had a lot of he, he had a lot of experience there. And yeah, from a high level point of view, but you, you you know you had lower cap rates, but you had more appreciation, you had more demand, and yep. so when supply and demand, we have a city like so Austin is a very unique case study in that it is transitioned from a boom and bust city over the last you know 30, 40 years, mm. and it really you know in early two thousand started to really invest in itself and, and invest around the University of Texas, uh, and that then you know trying to attract tech and trying to attract attract international capital and, and you know be that blue dot in the red state um you know keep austin weird and so austin has transitioned very much into uh, a coastal city right it, it, it is it's it's on the world stage um you know south by southwest is obviously there you got some really big um austin city limits you got some big music festivals that go there each and every year and it's just a, it's just a city that's just booming um Obviously, Tesla just moved down there. You got a you got a, a chip factory with Samsung. I think is moving to just outside of uh, North uh, East uh, Austin. Correct. So you you have a lot of um, a lot of growth and, and a city that's relatively small. Like it's it's less than a million people. So it was like there was opportunity here. Like we saw that there was opportunity there, particularly coming from a country like Australia, where I I could just see. You saw the hallmarks of it being a high appreciation, you know. And living in old Los Angeles, you, you saw that. I was seeing I was going out to dinner and spending just as much on cocktails and, and and eating out as I was in LA. And so you thought, thought this is this something's happening here. Mm-hmm. And now it's you know Austin is re- re- well on the map, um, and hopefully it continues to be that way because it's you know it, it's a city that that is is sprawling. The problem with Austin is going to be its infrastructure, and if they can figure out the infrastructure as it grows so quickly. Um, so in general, you ask, well, why would you go to a lower cap rate environment? Well, a lower cap rate environment where you've got a high, lot of demand means that there's going to be a lot of growth. And so, you know, the $100 per unit I can increase my rent on a four cap is going to give me a, big, a better equity multiple on the back end than $100 per unit on a six cap. So it, it, it's just, it was just, you know, and, and then it was all about supply and demand. And the other thing was Austin is also, given my background in develop, ground up development, it's a city as well that has a lot of red tape trying to get new projects out of the ground. Correct. So it's very similar to LA, New York, where I've had a lot of experience with the local municipalities trying to get things approved. And I was like, well, hang on, this is this smells and looks a lot like LA. I've just spent the last four years developing stuff in Los Angeles for my, for the, for my former employer. Um, 
it, you know, when you have a bit of barriers to entry for new product, you know, your existing products are going to be valued more. So you look at stuff in, you know, existing assets in Santa Monica or Culver City or downtown here in LA, they're, they're, they're really valuable because coming and trying to build something brand new is really, really tough here in the city of Los Angeles, city of Los Angeles. The same thing is very true in Austin, maybe not as extreme, but you still have a two year sort of approval window and then construction. So you're know, buying existing assets when demand is high and supply is low is, is really, really important. I think you had a, another jump too, is, is the difference between Phoenix and Austin with two different, I think, underwriting fundamentals here, whereas uh, insurance and the cost of um, taxes, renovations on, on existing project on Austin is high because of the weather and the conditions, whereas the Phoenix, a different game with a high price per door, I think. I think it's similar price per door, almost. No, different price per door. And the reason is Arizona State has different real estate taxes to... to, to So there's no there's income, sta- there's income tax in Arizona. There's no income tax in Texas. Those people who are listening to this show, all the red states will tell you, oh, we don't have income tax. That's, you know, come come live here but they get it through their real estate tax. And yep. so the real estate tax in Texas, you know, on my P&L, 20 to 25% of my P&L is just real estate taxes. Correct. In 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 Phoenix, it is a lot less. So you have it's fixed. I think it's fixed on um, uh, it's a fixed it's a fixed it's a fixed growth. I think it's yep. eight, 5 or 8% per year. Correct. But you have this so when you're comparing a, a set a 1980s asset in Austin or, or Texas versus a 1980s asset in Phoenix, your price per pound in Phoenix is higher because yeah. you're not paying as much on real estate taxes. So yeah. you might have a, you know, a, a similar size. So you might have a thirty million dollar deal in Texas and a thirty million dollar deal in Phoenix. I might be paying four hundred or five four hundred thousand dollars a year in real estate taxes in Texas. I'm probably only paying eighty thousand dollars a year in in Phoenix. Thus, my price per pound is higher. So the yeah. price per door on that. $30 million 80s vintage asset will be greater, you know, $200,000, $250,000 versus something in Texas, which might be more like $140,000, $150,000. Especially so, on the acquisition, as we mentioned, on the acquisition, there's no limit for the real estate taxes. But we're in, in Phoenix, you have a cap of 5% per year, which is going to save you a lot, especially when you flipping the property or... That's correct. And then you've got insurance... Yes, Arizona is the the cheapest insurance in the U.S. Per, by by state. Texas, on the other hand, we got slammed yeah. with the uh, the winter storm uh, eighteen months ago. The, the, just recently, over Christmas, they just got slammed again, and so real estate you know, insurance is going to keep going up and up and up. So the so, insurance bill unit is way higher in, in oh, Texas. Oh, I remember. Versus... I remember. Yeah, I remember when I first went down to Texas back in two thousand fourteen. Insurance was like two hundred and fifty bucks a door. Today. Yeah. It's more like eight hundred bucks a dollar. Yeah, six so, to eight hundred. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, let's move to another subject, which is the recession now, and and the impact of the recession now when you're having acquisition, especially in twenty two three. We have different factors here. We have the debt. We have the Fed. Hopefully, is gonna stop raising the the rates. Right. Mm-hmm. I think it's uh, the next one is gonna be February first. Correct. Mm-hmm. Correct. So all of the expectation is about 25 PPS to 50 PPS, hopefully 25 PPS to slow down all of this madness. But it's not madness, but our expectation, but it's helpful anyway for the buyer market. 
to close the gap between the buyer and the seller expectation. But going back to the point here, what is your planning for the acquisition and underwriting if the interest rate keep high, like going on this the same direction uh, on the next six years? Yeah. So I think in general, we've already seen a shift in cap rates. So I'm seeing something that was trading for like a four cap last year or maybe in 2021. Hmm. Yeah. Today is now trading at five, five and a half caps. You're already seeing that shift in following interest rates. Um, so I'm then also looking at per debt, I'm looking at fixed rate product only. Yeah. So I'm looking at stuff that is uh, five to five and a half percent fixed. If I can get my cap rate going in cap rate around the same price as what I'm getting my interest rate, meaning you know, I'm buying at five and a half cap rate, I'm getting five or five and a half interest rate and it's a value add deal, then I'm confident I can get to cash flow. Where back in the day, you would might be doing floating rate, right? And you buy a 4% cap rate and a 5% interest rate market. You've got to be confident that you can get the value of your asset up. Correct. Well, in the last 12 months, we've seen that. And I'll, you know, I'm, I've got a deal that is um, that we bought early last year. Bought at four cap, had a five cap, but it was floating. I, I had a cap at six, but that 100 basis points now becomes a lot harder to break up for water and come up for air because I'm starting an in, in, um, you know, inverted. Now, that's the part of you know, buying inverted deals is all what we do all the time because we, we believe in the value-add plan. Um, but I think moving forward in 2023, you have to be very careful of what how much inversion that is. Typically, you can handle between 50 to 75 basis points inversion. Any more than that, it's becomes you, you, you've got too much negative cash flow to, to try and overcome. So I'm always looking at the going in cap rate versus what I'm getting in on my interest. I think that this is really important for the listener to understand that how valuable the advice here is that you're talking about the spread between the interest rate and your cap rate, especially that you have to consider even if it's equal, but your plan to have a value add, potentially you're going to have some sort, of, some sort of margin. But if your deal doesn't have any value add and your interest rate is higher than your cap, cap rate, rate, then you're losing money. Well, your you're negative cash flow. And yeah, you're, negative cash flow. There's, there's, there's folks out there that do that all the time, right? Look at New York City, look at LA, look at Toronto, look at Vancouver. People are buying in cap rate environments where they have, they, have, they have a different need for their equity. But for you and I, where we, we're dealing with retail investors, yeah. we, we're looking for cash flow. We're looking to make a good return for our investors. So we need to have a very minimal arbitrage between going in cap rates and interest rates. Or, But today, you really want to have that equal or now reverse. So I'm buying a deal in Phoenix right now. I'm picking up at 5.4 cap, mm. but I'm getting interest rates at 4.9. So I've already got a nice spread there to start. And that means I'm going to cash flow from day one. So right now, what is appealing more for you? Which uh, uh, class you're like uh, asset class you're focusing on A or B or C, especially that you're yeah. focusing on add you, value add uh, model. So what's more appealing for you right now on your. Uh, the, the value you, um, affordable housing is always going to be my, my, my go-to, you know, workforce housing. It's been, you know, traditionally what, what we've done, um, in my companies, uh, which is for market. I'm now starting to implement other strategies. Like we did a deal in, in Greenville, South Carolina, where it's a it's a class, it's built in the 70s. So you technically call it a class C, C plus, yeah. Yeah. but 
in that state, there is a, I partnered up with a, a local nonprofit. That they have another, that's another state with high real estate taxes because they have no income tax. And I can get my real estate taxes wiped off if I keep my rents at a certain level. Now, this is rent restriction, essentially. It's a dirty word that most red states don't want to talk about. But what it happens for me, if I can keep my, if I can have my cake and eat it too, my, the AMI, the average median income is increasing across the country. If I'm buying an asset where the in-place rents are eight, 900 bucks, but the AMI for you know, 60% or 80% AMI is at 11 or $1,200, I can still increase the rent slightly, but I have now no taxes. Mm. So my cash flow increases. So I'm, I'm, I'm now doing, it's, it's still a value add multifamily, but it's in the affordable space. So I'm doing certain different things in and around, you know, C plus, B minus. I still want to buy core stuff. I still always will buy core stuff. That's bucket one. But bucket two is now affordable. And, and, and I want to be able to be incentivized as the buyer to get my real estate taxes wiped off or get some sort of credit by keeping my rents at a certain level to allow, you know, with the affordability issue, you know, inflation going across the country, there's a lot of governments out there, a lot of state governments that are really incentivizing owners to keep their rents low and not just keep jamming and jamming them. Well, that to incentivize them by saying, we'll wipe off your real estate taxes. I'm mm -hmm. interested in that, that strategy. So, yeah. Going to the main part now is raising the capital. And as we see now, and this is one of the issues about the recession, is the need for stack capital and having not only uh, the lender part, but also the equity part. What is the impact you see on the market from the equity side and raising a passive ink, passive in, passive money from investor or passive investor? What was the actual impact on your uh, market so far when you're raising capital? Yeah, I think, look, if you've still got a, we, we did two deals last year. If you've still got a good deal that makes sense, you know, we did an affordable deal and a market rate deal, people are still going to need places to, to to put their money. When the stock market's still taking, you know, taking a big dump, um, you know, people want to protect, you know, in a high inflationary environment, they want to put their money in hard assets. So the savvy investors are continuing to invest in real estate. The fundamentals are still there. You know, there's still affordability crisis across the country. There's affordability crisis in Canada. There's affordability crisis in Australia, in Europe. You know, cost of housing is going up. People are not, you know, the interest rates, as interest rates go up, less people are buying new first-time homes, right? People are renting for longer. So, and and for me, I, I focus on the, the, the folks that earn between fifty dollars and $70,000 a year. So those mm. folks, unfortunately, probably never going to own a home. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really, I'm always going to have a line around the street if I keep my rents at a certain level. So I, I fundamentally believe that the fundamentals of affordable housing and, and workforce housing are still there. Um, it's just how do you go and execute it in, with debt, you know, with your going in cap rates, with the value add plan, with supply chain issues. All those things are very nuanced. But as we start to see the forest through the trees with the Fed and where interest rates are going, I think you know, there's going to be a lot more money coming back into multifamily and commercial real estate coming here in Q1. So do you see any new objection, especially that we see that the IRR started to drop from 20 and 24% on the last two years to 14 to 18% now, especially I, in, your yeah, I think was... in general, if, you know, I've always said to my investors, I've tried to double your money in five to seven years. That's, yep. that's, you know, that's roughly a 14 to 15% IRR. If I do better than that, great. But if you're trying to still hit 20% IRRs, I don't in value in the multifamily space value add. I don't, I don't know where that, that exists. It's you know, not existing anymore. I think it, 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 it hasn't existed for years. So, yeah. you know, a 12 to 15% IRR is very healthy. 
and it's it's something that you know you 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 should strive to because it's 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 a good it's it's tax it's risk adjusted and it has tax benefits so yeah again my last question will be thanks so much for being with us today and if the people want to reach you how you see they can follow your success the easiest way to go is to read goosens.com that's r e e d g o o s s e n s.com you can follow me on instagram uh facebook i'm on linkedin uh, if you're ever coming through Los Angeles, you want to hit me up and go for a coffee or beer, hit me up at info at reedgoosens.com. That's great. Thanks a lot for being with us today. And we're really happy to bring you again to the show to talk about your success on different states. Again, Thank I appreciate you so it. Much.